The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The Agile Brand. Welcome to Season 6 of The Agile Brand, where we discuss marketing technology and customer experience trends, insights, and ideas with enterprise and technology platform leaders. We focus on the people, processes, data, and platforms that make brands successful, scalable, customer-focused, and sustainable. This is what makes an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advising Fortune 1000 brands on MarTech, marketing operations, and CX, best-selling author and speaker. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that my latest book, Priority is Action, Seven Principles for Better Strategies, Decisions, and Outcomes, is now available. In it, I give ideas and insights for leaders and teams that need to make meaningful progress on their priorities. After all, our priorities are what we do, not what we say we'd like to do. You can find Priority is Action on Amazon or learn more on my website, gregkilstrom.com. Now let's get on to the show. Many brand customer journeys start with a search that results in a list of irrelevant answers or products, ultimately leading to lost prospects. Instead of a true dialogue between brands and customers, which starts with the brand asking basic questions instead of immediately sharing wrong answers, is key to personalization for marketers. Today, we're going to talk about how brands can create meaningful dialogues with their customers, which benefits all parties. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Christian Ward, Chief Data Officer, EVP at Yext. Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, looking forward to um, de- definitely a, a topic that's that's top of mind here. So why don't we get started with you giving a little background on yourself as well as what you're currently doing at Yext. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm Chief Data Officer at Yext. Uh, I've been uh, at Yext for about a decade, believe it or not, which is saying a lot in tech. <laughs> yeah. um, prior yeah. to that, uh, I started several structured data companies over the years, mostly in Wall Street and finance, and then moved into where Yext really shines, which is essentially all knowledge or objective knowledge about businesses. But the one difference here, which I love, I've been Chief Data Officer at other companies as well, is Yext is built around the knowledge of our customers. So I'm really in market working with the customers and their data sets. So a typical day for me could be working with someone, you know, as just a storied brand like a Lego uh, and, and analyzing their data and what they can do with it to a health organization, to a nonprofit it, it really doesn't sort of matter. It's much more of the, the understanding of if you were to organize all of your knowledge properly, what could you achieve with it, mostly from a marketing perspective, but obviously that it bleeds into other areas as well. Yeah, that's great. Well, yeah, so let's let's get started here talking about what using AI to engage in dialogue entails and how it can positively impact brand engagement. So first, you know, what does a positive dialogue look like between a brand and a customer or a potential customer? So 
positive dialogues when we think about marketing I, I think I think we've all I think we all would agree that marketing is fundamentally about storytelling it's right. been that for many years uh, unfortunately though I think in the last I'll say maybe 10 years it's probably 15 most of those storytellings have have sort of descended into this evil marketing monologue right it's it's always the same I need to know who you are and who you're friends with and what you read and where you go. And that way I can send you the right message at the right place at the right time. And yeah. unfortunately, that's that's also what surveillance capitalism is built on. When I think of a dialogue, that's a totally different experience. That's you or I walking into a local toy store and, and the person behind the counter helping you find the exact right gift for, for a child in your life. And they explain it and they they give you knowledge. And so positive dialogues tend to be a continuous loop that builds trust where when I say something, you have listened, you have, you have analyzed what I've said, and you come back with helpful information and the dialogue continues. And so uh, dialogue uh, comes from the Greek dia and logos. It means through words, right? So we're going through a journey together. And I think this is the opportunity that brands have been waiting for, for a very long time, because it's very hard to scale great dialogue. A lot of times you don't even want the person behind the counter probably talking to your client. You're not sure they're going to be great. But great dialogue is where real trust and brand engagement comes from. Yeah, yeah. And so, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of marketers are, you know, more data is good all, all the time, right? Is is kind of not necessarily true, but it's it's kind of the mantra that that a lot of marketers go by. And so, you know, this is not necessarily contrary to that because data is still needed, but you know, what does it actually take to have this dialogue and, and do it well? You know, how can brands prepare themselves to engage in a good conversation with their customers? Yeah. So borrowing from academic research, uh, there's a paper written by uh, Sean, uh, Professor McMahon, Sean McMahon in, at Elon University, and it's called Lean Data. And it's such a brilliant take on this problem, which is I would offer if people say like data is the new oil, it's not. It's calories. and and if you if you take in the wrong calories, you become obese with data. <laughs> you really yeah. you can't be agile, you can't move quickly. And most importantly, you're usually tracking things that at some point either either today violate privacy initiatives in different jurisdictions, or I can promise in the next five years we'll violate privacy in certain yeah. jurisdictions. So when when we think about this, the best way to consider it is, is typically we've been building personalization for a long time as marketers, where we focused on what could I glean about you to then just change the monologue slightly, like the image you see or inserting your name in the email. That, that stuff doesn't work. I, I, and for all the metrics out there, the amount of data and MarTech stack obesity, so I call it data gluttony that goes on. Is, is it's not really helping your business. On the other hand, the beauty of dialogue is that people freely give you all the data you need to really personalize it. So if I walk into a, to stick with the toy store, if I walk into a toy store and I say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm looking to buy a gift for my nephew um, who actually has some developmental issues. I'd like to, a gift that actually helps him work with his hands. And what, what do you have there? Well, I've just given you incredibly personal information to help me on my journey. Yeah. And so why, if you tracked me around for 50 days of everything I read and everything I did, none of that would actually help you in targeting or a great response to me. And so the, the beauty of this is between AI and a lean data strategy, 
you can actually walk away from a massive you know, uh, overuse or over belief in these additional MarTech systems. So I, I, I admit it. I'm probably the only chief data officer you've ever heard ever say we don't need all the data. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't still record it, but you really should be focusing on quality, accurate, lean data that really drives that dialogue instead of all of the data. Yeah, yeah. So the, the this is interesting, and and you may be you may be unique among. Uh, chief data officers, and that's 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 great. But to your point, you know, there's we had you know big data was the was was the buzzword a decade or more ago, and and you know I think everybody acted on that, and but you know didn't know what to do with it, and I think you know AI is helping organizations to act on it. But you know is you know one one question would be you know how do we get better usage of all that data that we're sitting on? But is that even the right question? You know, it seems like what you're saying is is not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily about becoming, you know, gluttons of, of data. It's about paring it down to what we really need to know or, you know, what, what's, I guess, what's the right question to ask here? So it, it, when I meet with organizations, a lot of times they, they assume that all of the data is, is the path. And, and the reason why, so a couple of things, I think we've been taught that, right? I think as marketers, yeah. we've been sold a, a bag of goods on, <laughs> you got to have everything and here's the platform to do that. Um, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying there wasn't a place for that in our understanding of big data, but realistically, if you look at most CDPs, so customer data platforms or even CRMs, the vast majority of the value of that is in like six audience segments, right? It's not yeah. like, I remember because I, I was in this business, you know, selling people this, this file of, hey, Christian Ward is, uh, you know, a 40 plus year old male. He has kids and he's an active outdoor lifestyle audience segment. All that data is wrong. By the time you get that granular, I may have accidentally clicked on a camping ad and, and suddenly I'm an active outdoor lifestyle. Like right. the data is just not good when you dig in. But knowing that I am a first time visitor to your website, that tends to be very valuable. So the, I, I guess what I would say is most marketers, when we have these discussions and we meet, especially at the, not just the executive level, but those actually in the trenches working with these technologies they kind of nod and go, you know, he's right. Like we don't really use that other stuff because when we've tried, it's not, it, it's, it's not really accurate to a point where it helps. Now yeah. that's, that's where we are today. What the right question is, is how do I engage in a dialogue or use these new AI tools, whether it's search or it's chat or just engagement where I'm not relying on surveillance or cookies or any of those things. I'm relying on what did the client ask me? In other words, if I come to your website and I ask you about powdered jelly donuts, you could completely personalize everything <laughs> right. you're about to tell me about powdered jelly donuts. And, and the cool part is that's zero party data, right? So there's third party data. That's the creepy cookie stuff. There's first party, which is behavioral. And I, I actually think the regulators are coming for that next. But, but zero party is where the human has freely given you the data that you can then personalize on. And what's amazing about that is that actually mimics the best human-to-human -human interactions that we have in person. So the more digital can start to feel and act more like a concerned conversation rather than a monologue that doesn't hit its mark because you use data that you think works, that's the next step that AI can power. And so everyone's first question should be, what is the lean data 
that almost every customer asks us because when they ask that question over and over again, you can actually see that in your dialogue data to go, wow, everybody keeps asking us about this one thing. That's lean data. We should focus on that data and we should focus on telling the world about that. So it's go ahead and keep pushing out your monologues, but the dialogues tell you which monologues to focus on to get more traffic and more engagement from customers. Yeah. And to your point that that zero party data, that is the customers volunteering that information. And, you know, they they may not always know what they're asking for, but you can help based on what they're asking for, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the brand's job, right. Is to, to take those inputs and, you know, to, to the other point that you made about the, the third party data and, you know, potentially other types of, of data collected, you know, there, there are certainly a lot of data privacy issues. Um, one of these days, Google's going to get around to deprecating third party cookies <laughs> and already, you know, Microsoft, Apple, others have, have made some big steps there. And, and certainly, you know, everything from remember the the good old days when GDPR was first rolled out and, you know, CCPA, all, all this stuff. So there's, you know, this convergence of, of data privacy. And so, you know, whether even if you're not operating as a global entity, consumer data privacy is an issue for you as, as a brand. You know, what what should marketers keep in mind here when engaging in a dialogue with their customers? Yeah, it's uh, so whether the universe coming together or uh, whatever <laughs> you might believe. So uh, so my little brother is a uh, data privacy attorney. He's actually at Oxford finishing his doctorate in autonomy and the relationship between what people and businesses can know about individuals. So he and I debate this all the time uh, because he's yeah. incredibly well-versed in European law as well as the, uh, the US law. And he brings up some really great insights generally uh, that I'll share, which is when he, when he thinks about sort of data privacy and this information, a lot of times you can go back to um, the entomology of the word data. So Greg, do you, do, you know, do you know the background? Do you know where we get the word data from? Uh, I don't, no. It's, it's, so it, it's interesting. It, it comes from Latin. It's from do dare datum. And, and, and do dare datum, the, that form of the word datum is where we get data. And, and it actually means the thing having been given. <laughs> which is kind of hilarious. Wow. Yeah. For the last X number of years, think of all of the, you know, social media platforms, all of these tools, they were built upon, no, take as much data from that subject as you can and use it for whatever purposes. When the actual meaning of the word data is, no, I've, I've provided this, this is given. And so I think if you go back to that as almost like a first principle of how to do data right, you should always be erring on the side of let them share with you what they are looking for. The problem is we have 25 years of living in a world of centralized search, right? Where everyone goes to one place, which is Google. And Google's the greatest invention probably up until the last few years that, that humankind can say in terms of access to content. But what you're starting to see is now those technologies like most websites are death by drop-down menu where they're tracking you to figure out yeah. what people are interested in. And that's the complete wrong strategy. Drop-down menu, I, like I cannot see a world where in the next three years, we don't all look back and go, I cannot believe I spent so much time on my drop-down menus and what went in them. <laughs> Nobody's going to use drop-down menus. You're just going to talk. But what you say or what you type in into a universal interface is so different than what we've been doing for 25 years. I think for most marketers, 
they have to realize it's time to unlearn everything you've learned up until this point in terms of engagement. Because the privacy laws, to, to again channel my brother, they're all very common in the way they think about it. And the AI Act in Europe is very similar, which is you're going to have to explain to regulators how and what data you gathered, you used, and you gave to AI. And then you're going to have to be able to prove the transparency of Christian got this answer, but Greg got this answer, and mm. here's why. And so if you keep that as sort of your North Star, which is the more that you take it as a sacred thing provided, given by your customer, and you use that data in an ethical way, you also have to be able to show people how did you use that data? This is, a, this, to a large degree, this is how and why people use Yext, is at our company, we help them put the knowledge in this lockbox compliance area where if we feed it to AI, we know exactly what was fed to the AI. Instead of feeding the AI your entire intranet, which I will tell everyone, please don't do that. It's a very bad idea. Don't give all your data and knowledge to an AI that you just got to know. You should instead have a lockboxed area. And so once again, when, we, when I say lean data, I'm saying you should have a data structure, a data stack that is not related to all of your information. You need to segment it because when the regulators come calling and they, they merge the privacy and the AI laws into one construct, it's all going to be about transparency, lineage, and accuracy. And what, what the reason why I say those three things is those are the determinations by a regulator or a judge or someone of, are you treating everyone equally and are you being a good steward of their information? And so that's, I know that's a lot for everybody to, to think about, but it's definitely a space where if you can get your mind into do dari datum, the thing given, that's what you have to start to think about. And that's the beauty of dialogue, right? Dialogue yeah. allows me and you, Greg, to have this conversation, but we are give and taking, and it lets us uh, sort of have that back and forth to keep it personal and engaging. That's what every brand needs to do. And quite frankly, that's what every consumer wants from the brand is to be heard and to be engaged with. To all the events, marketing and technology professionals out there, discover how to unlock the full potential of your events and how to use powerful data to unify events and marketing. RainFocus Insight will take place January 30 through February 1, 2024 in Salt Lake City. Insight is a must-attend event that provides a unique opportunity to learn from industry thought leaders and network with your peers. Experience inspiring keynotes, role-specific breakout sessions, and hands-on workshops, all dedicated to showing the latest best practices and technologies to amplify the impact of your events. Register today at rainfocusinsight.com and use the code AGILEBRAND, that's one word, AGILEBRAND, for $100 off your registration fee. Can't attend in person? Register for the free virtual experience. Visit RainFocus Insight to learn more. Before we get back to the show, I just wanted to remind you to hit the follow or subscribe button on your app to make sure you get notified when new episodes of this show are available. Now let's get back to the show. So first, um, immediately after this interview, I'm going to translate the thing taken into Latin and figure out what that is. But um, second... You know, th this sounds like a, I mean, it sounds like a philosophical shift of, you know, instead of thinking of data as something to exploit, you know, that that's a strong word, but that's really, that's what it's been. And, you know, kind of to your point, what, what marketers have been taught is, you know, let's take all this data and 
do as much as we can. And sure, if we show the right thing at the right time, it's in everybody's interest, including the the customers. But you know what you're talking about is is a bit of a a philosophical shift. And so you know, I, you've talked a bit about this already. But you know how how can this be a win win for the the business as well as the customer? Yeah. I, so when when we think about it philosophically, I think it's definitely a shift. I also think it's it's the collapse of the modern Martech stack. And and a lot of times you have to fundamentally, it's sort of like whatever the stages of grief are, you have to sort of accept <laughs> what has happened. And I don't yeah. think anyone's in the acceptance phase yet. Like Gemini came out yesterday and it showed some amazing things and capabilities and people using GPT. But the, the, the process of starting to accept that your website, your digital experience, Google search results are not going to be a list of websites in the next two years. It just can't be. If they continue down that path, it will be a completely different result than what people want, which is they want to have a dialogue and get answers. And you can already see this in how people are engaging. Now, uh, if you follow SEOs, you know, talking about these elements, so many of them are going, wait a second, this new generative, this new generative thing, there's no, there's no links. Like, why am I feeding them the knowledge to then answer it? And I'm like, I hate to tell you this, everyone. There is no real contract between your content and Google. You right. have a handshake. I provide the content. You'll you'll show me in results. But all of that starts to change as you and I can go outside of Google and have direct dialogues with brands. So the the philosophical shift here is from centralized search and conversation to decentralized search and conversation. Where, Greg, you have an earpiece where you're walking around and just talking to your personal AI and you say something like, hey, I want to take the family to Disney this week or, or next week. Uh, you know, talk to every hotel and get back to me on what offers they have for a family of five. That is a very different world than you and I typing something into Google or any centralized search system and seeing that information. So the way to think about preparing this is, number one, it's a better experience but you're really going to start to move away from the massive amount of money you're spending in ads to really focusing on in a dialogue, you can make offers. Uh, and I wrote about this in ad week uh, about three weeks ago, which is, I think the market starts to move from ads to offers where you really got to think about what knowledge can you share with clients in a dialogue. But if you and I have, let's say I go to that same Disney example, I live here in Florida. They have a train now from where I live up to Disney World. Well, that's pretty fun. That's exciting. Why don't we do a, you know, a quick getaway? In that process, I don't need to go to Google anymore. If I want to talk to an AI and say, hey, listen, plan a three-day itinerary for the family. Uh, I want to hit certain things, but I want to keep it, you know, the price right. Well, if each of the companies that that AI reaches out to has a knowledge graph and has an, an AI in front of it, you literally will not go to Google. You will get a dossier that says, here's the plan. Is it, does this look good? Do you want me to book it? And I know people think that's far-fetched. It's not. I have already built something similar to this. And it gets to this point of marketing will go back to what I think it originally should have been, which is it's awareness and it's engagement. We got into this weird middle ground because everyone went to one centralized search place instead of to the brands, this weird middle ground where we decided surveillance, you've heard the phrase, if the product is free, then the product is me. 
And right. what that is, is every time I use all these tools, Google, Facebook, all of them, they're, they're monetizing access to me from a surveillance perspective. And that really starts to decline in value to the customer journey. So I think there's, there's, there's many ways to attack it. But, but being ready for that is about understanding what in your current MarTech stack is almost exclusively focused on tracking and pushing slightly altered monologues at people. And I would start to decline that and I'd start to really focus on how quickly can you start to get a dialogue going. And that, that actually could be as easy as adding a search bar or a chat to start to gather what are people asking you. It, it just blows my mind. Brands spend billions, two, over 200 billion, trying to place ads in Google where the consumer went there because they wanted to ask a question. They didn't want drop-down menus. Google's whole platform is one search box, but that search box is a dialogue. It is the beginning of a dialogue with the customer. And yeah. think of how many brands don't spend a dime on their own website search because it's the tech has not been there. And I guess what I'd say to everybody is it, it's here. The tech is here now, like between search and chat, the tech is here to deliver an amazing interactive experience that I think starts to really decentralize the customer journey from Google. So how do you then, you know, given this shift and um, this, this opportunity for marketers, then how do they get started with this? I mean, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned a couple of things to start collect data, but you know, how, how does a marketer and a brand really capitalize on this? Yep. So there's, there's, uh, so let's say well, I was going to meet with a new Yext customer and we wanted to build a plan exactly like you're yeah. saying. Uh, we would, we would, we would get together probably in person, but if not you know, via Zoom. But I have a whiteboard uh, in my office where we would immediately, I, I would probably start off with number one, do you have a service department, a contact center, or even a person that answers the phones that tends to answer a lot of the questions that customers call in with? And most of our clients say, yes, of course we have that. And we'd say, great, whatever binder or whatever tool you're using, like when someone joins and like, hey, welcome to the service department. Here's a binder of all the most commonly asked things. Give me that binder. That's step one. Because that is one area of current customers or people that are curious. You need to look at that as that is one of the first best sources of lean data to get started. The second step is when you train people to sell your product or to engage in your service, what do they most commonly talk about with the customer? See, I, I, I hate to make it so simple, but I'm basically asking them to stop thinking like a marketer for a minute and start to think about one, uh, the, one of the employees that deals with the client to then start to build their universe of lean data. Because if you just gather, and again, this sounds sort of crazy, but most people on this uh, uh, audience probably are familiar with Google My Business Profiles yeah. or making sure your data is correct across, you know, Bing, Amazon, all these platforms. When you build those profiles, a lot of that data, what time you open, where your location is, what products you have, what services you have, that data is not that much. It's actually, it might take you an hour to fill it in 100% depth for one business. But if you take that and you combine it with the 50 most commonly asked things of either your sellers or your service people, you actually already have I will offer, it's typically the Pareto principle. So think of all the data in your business. That's 100%. I'm saying probably 20% of the knowledge in your business answers 80% of people's questions. Yeah. And so it's not hard to get started by taking a step back and looking at it and saying, listen, 
50% of people are going to ask our chat whether we're opened on the holiday next week or not. So that's got to be in there. Another 60% of people are going to ask, how do I re-log in if you're a tech company or an app, right? All of those questions are so easy to automate now with search and AI. The, the thing that I see all the time is marketers know this instinctively, that the dialogue is worth more than pushing monologues and tracking which monologue worked. Because in many cases, that's just survivorship bias. It's not that it worked. Yeah. It's just that that's the only thing you saw survive. So right. the, the dialogue, on the other hand, IT gets involved and nothing against the IT department, but they're like, well, we have search. We have search for the, you know, the internet or we have search on the site. Like that's not the same thing we're talking about. You're thinking about search like keyword search from the 1990s or originated in the 1960s. What you really need to be thinking about is if everyone came to the site, I want it to be 80 to 90% useful. And it actually doesn't take that much data to get there. It what what then happens is as people talk or search in your search box or ask chat in the dialogue, they're telling you the stuff they also want to know that you weren't aware they want to know. And this happens all the time. We see it with, um, Greg, you probably have gotten like mail where they have the code. Like it's like, hey, financial right, advisory right. services or roofing services. And it's a piece of direct mail and, and yeah. they have a code. And let's say 2% of people go to the website, the webpage for that promo. Well, we put search bars on those pages or we put chats on those pages and within 500 responses, we know everything you didn't print on that promo that will make three to 4% more people visit the page on the next mailing because mm -hmm. people will freely do dari datum give you what they didn't understand. They'll say, I'm sorry, is this available in Florida? You said Southeast, but sometimes that doesn't include Florida. Well, on your next print, you're going to put that this is also available in Florida because it's that big of a question. So you let the dialogue determine your outreach and your content strategy and your monologue, but it does not take a lot of data to get started. Yeah. And so this, this approach, I mean, it sounds like some of it is a, maybe a shift away from, from some other methods. And so, you know, it may be a, you know, a replacement, not necessarily freeing marketers up, but you know, what does this allow marketers to focus on when they're not so focused on, you know, pouring through all this data that they're tracking that may or may not be significant? You know, yeah. what, do, what do they get to do, uh, you know, that that will then benefit customers as well as the brand when they're when they're not kind of focused on those things that are just not moving the needle? Yeah. So when, when I when I look at the typical day in life of, of a marketer or, or even let's start just with the content strategy. A lot of times content strategy is set by either the executives or the board or where they want it to go. Most SEO and content strategists would say, actually, what we should be doing is downloading like where we're showing up and how, who's engaging. They, they have the right idea, right? Which is use data to help you streamline what you focus on. What, what I'm saying is, is this is the next iteration of efficiency in that, which is instead of guessing based on, you know, you know, something showing up as this content's working, what content do we do next? You're actually letting your client base and people interested in potentially being a client tell you what content you should build next. So in a way, I think what it does is it streamlines the content calendar. I'll give you a classic example. One telco that we work with was seeing a lot of questions about flip phones. Um, remember like the old razor phone, yeah, um, which, yeah. which was very cool for all of you who were born <laughs> much further after that. But, but the razor flip phone was, was cool. I had one. Um, but, but they're asking in the search bar and in chat, 
about these phones. And this particular telco uh, has some versions of that, but they, they didn't understand why. And so the chat starts to capture young people don't want to bring their $1,500 iPhone out to bars at night anymore. They're afraid of dropping it in a beer or whatever, it's going to get ruined. So yeah. they're buying these flip phones, right? Because it's a $35 phone. If it gets broken, who cares? Okay. Right. It's amazing. But what's happened is they now know that if they're asking it on their telco site, there's probably a million, a hundred million people asking that question in Google. There's just no content there yet about it. So yeah. you're using the dialogue because as much as we like to think our businesses don't change and our clients don't change, how people discuss, engage, or think about topics, services, products, it changes so rapidly, it's amazing. Even the way people think about, for example, I, I live in Florida, as I said, when they think about like roofing, the amount of change that happens between people suddenly wanting to go from tile to flat tile to you know uh, steel roofing, it is amazing how quickly those things change. But by using a dialogue-based approach, you can set aside a ton of activity to try and figure out the next barrel tile keyword and start to focus on actually the clientele will tell you what you should be writing on, what you should be building on. So this drives your content strategy and your engagement strategy. And again, I, I would say this, things like retargeting or stuff where that creepy mattress ad, you know, like uh, that calls you around <laughs> yeah. for three months after you have clicked on the ad once, like that stuff I see declining or even not working based on privacy laws. But, but yeah. understanding what people are really asking question-wise, but that they don't understand about your mattress that's the stuff that's gold. That's, that is the stuff that's going to drive the next content strategy for every brand. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, Christian, uh, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, one last question before we wrap up here, you've given a lot of great advice and, and insights already, but uh, what's one next best action you'd recommend for those listening that, you know, they, they like what they're hearing here. Or they want to shift to more of a, that dialogue driven approach. Uh, what should they do first? So first and foremost, you really got to start using these tools. Gemini obviously came out yesterday in terms of its new capabilities, but you really need to pay. If you're a marketer and you're not paying for and using GPT-4 as a test case, I really advise you to do that. It's, it reminds me of uh, the old Karate Kid movie where, you know, the, the, the Mr. Miyagi says, you know, first learn rule number one or, <laughs> of karate. Well, that's this. Rule number one yeah. is use the tools. So start to build on the tools. And from there, start to think about lean data and how you can get a search or chat functionality to analyze or bring in those dialogues as quickly as possible. It doesn't matter if your search is perfect or your chat's perfect. That is a mistake. You really want to focus on capturing those dialogues because then you can improve the search and chat from there. It doesn't have to be perfect. That's the whole idea of the term lean data. It kind of follows that lean startup idea. So the first rule is start using those tools every day and, and stay close to them. And the second rule is figure out how you can start to capture those dialogues with search and chat as quickly as possible. And, and that's what I would recommend to do. So, and, and, and again, Greg, thanks again uh, for the opportunity and having me as a guest. It's, it's actually been great talking with you. Yeah, yeah, it was great talking with you. Uh, again, I'd like to thank Christian Ward, Chief Data Officer and EVP at Yext for joining the show. You can learn more about Christian and Yext by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand, brought to you by Tech Systems. 
If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. While you're there, check out my series of best-selling Agile brand guides covering a wide variety of marketing technology topics, or you can search for Greg Kilstrom on Amazon. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile. The Agile Brand.